Dose of Leadership podcast, episode 141. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. This is Richard Ryerson. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. This show is brought to you by my sponsor, Audible.com. If you're like me, you like to read, but you're having trouble finding the time to squeeze in all those great books, well, Audible.com is a perfect solution. The audiobooks are great. I never thought I would like them, but I love them now. It's a great way to get caught up. I listen to and get caught up on the book as I'm driving to work, if I'm exercising, any free time, working out in the yard, I can get caught up on all my reading. You can go to uh, my website, doseofleadership.com slash audible, and you can uh, download a free audiobook. Any audiobook they have, over 100,000 titles to choose from, you can download it for free, listen to it. You can sign up for 30 days with no obligation. If you don't like it after 30 days, you can cancel your subscription. But again, it's no risk to you. Go check out doseofleadership.com slash audible to make your smartphone smarter. What a pleasure it is for me today to have Peter Docker on the show. He's passionate about enabling others to be extraordinary. He's inspired by Simon Sinek's theory of the golden circle. Peter works to help individuals and organizations harness the power of why. The result is extraordinary cultures and sustainable high performance. He illustrates his insights by drawing on examples from his previous flying, military, and industry career to explain principles that can be applied in any business. He's a leadership consultant and executive coach, and his commercial experience extends across Europe, Middle East, and Africa, North America, India, and the Far East. He's a former senior Royal Air Force officer and professional pilot. Peter's been a force commander during combat flying operations and has seen service across the world. He's a seasoned crisis manager. His multifaceted career has encompassed being an international negotiator for the UK, UK government, leading an aviation training and standards organization, teaching postgraduates at the UK's Defense College, and flying the late Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher around the world, and leading multi-billion dollar international procurement projects. He's now dedicated to sharing his insights into how human beings operate, communicate, and relate, specializing in organizational culture and leadership. He's partnered with the Start With Why team, Simon Sinek's team, since 2011, and he works with organizations on long-term engagements, delivers master classes at universities, and is a regular contributor to Simon Sinek's blog and podcast series. Peter, welcome to the Dose of Leadership podcast. Wow, thank you very much, uh, Richard. Uh, <laughs> just listening to all that, that's a lot of stuff you talked yeah, about. There. Yeah, it, it's always <laughs> funny, right, when you, when someone reads your bio. It's always, especially like, it's always uncomfortable for me, like when someone's introducing me at a, a speaking engagement. I don't know why, it's just hard to hear your stuff talk. I, do, do you get that way? Uh, absolutely. And, um, you know, I'm very connected to why I and others do things rather than the what. So <laughs> bios typically talk about the what's in our lives. Right. Uh, so, uh, yes, it's quite entertaining to, to hear it sometimes. And I, I think, really, is that me? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can relate. That's very for sure. Well, you know, it's an impressive career. You know, you and I were talking before the recording started. You don't have a lot in common. You know, we both flew uh, obviously, you for the UK, me for the United States military, uh, refuelers and tankers, and so we have that in common. And and I found in people, regular listeners of the show, and they've heard me say this time and time again, I didn't realize how much the Marine Corps, the military in general, and aviation in particular taught me about leadership. Did you have that same experience? Absolutely. Um, you know, we you, you mentioned our, our our backgrounds, Richard, of, of flying tankers. Well. 
the tankers they they enable others and that's the root of my why mm, yeah. uh, why i get up every day uh the tankers are enablers and so um to to fly an aircraft like that you're in service of others uh, so that's one thing the second thing is when you're flying a multi crew aircraft as you're well aware uh, and you face uh, a number of small and sometimes quite large crises right. or emergencies working together in that small team uh, you learn a lot about what makes people tick, how they respond under difficult situations, yes. and how to achieve extraordinary outcomes. Yeah, and I think communication is a big. You know, we were just talking about this every day, and I still fly uh, three to four times a week, and it's amazing how even when, if you fly with the same people, even if you fly like the same missions, like Groundhog Day, over and over and over again, it's amazing how even if it, even if the missions are monotonous. Every flight, something new comes up, and you can learn something from it every single time. Don't you agree? Uh, I would agree entirely, and I, I think it's the it's that attitude, that outlook of always learning, mm. always something new, um, that uh, enables us to to progress and um, be open to to change and innovation. So yes, I think there is a, a direct correlation between what goes on uh, in the air flying an aeroplane and also what can occur in in great businesses and great organizations yeah and i think that what just hit me i was just thinking about this this having this teachability spirit and i kind of remember it maybe it happened to you but about the thousand hour mark i remember walking out to the plane you know feeling pretty heady and pretty large on life and thinking man i've got this figured out and <laughs> and that was the day that the avi- aviation gods came up and bit me in the butt you know and then and, and mm. ever since then i just having this kind of teachable, humble spirit is probably the biggest thing aviation or being a good aircraft commander has taught me to be. Yes, uh, and uh, I would agree with that. And it it links again to uh, leadership in other organizations or broader organizations. Um, If you have the attitude when you're flying of being in service, uh, service of the mission, service of those that you are um, either carrying as passengers or in the case of us when we were in the military um, refueling other aircraft if you've got that sense of service and the higher purpose um, the why that encapsulates all of that and then you have the approach on the flight deck with your crew of being very professional and at the same time being open to learning and realizing that you've always got something new to learn, it links in very closely with something we call adaptive leadership, which um, isn't my idea. I just use it. It comes from Roald Heifetz uh, of Harvard Business School. But the the key about adaptive leadership is recognizing that um, all problems aren't technical problems with clear-cut solutions. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you're faced with a problem that you don't quite know what the challenge is, let alone how to solve it. And the way you approach that is different. It's not through delegation. It's through being open to learning Mm -hmm. and with your team learning your way through the problem. Just like when you're on the flight deck of an aircraft, when a new emergency occurs that you haven't practiced for in the simulator, you have to learn your way through the problem. And the the captain of the aircraft, his or her leadership requirement is to create the environment where others can contribute to learning that way, their way through the problem. And so too on the ground as well in any organization. Those organizations that excel are those where the leaders are comfortable with not knowing the answer and instead are focused on creating the environment where others in the team can learn their way through to the solution. Yeah, I love that. I just, 
every day I, I resonate or I go back to how much flying aircraft teaches uh, how to respond in business and in life. I think compartmentalization was a big thing. I mean, it, it kind of happened out of necessity to be a great aircraft commander in a multi-crew environment, you know, how to compartmentalize your emotions or your feelings anyway and kind of calmly react um, in a professional manner. I mean, I, that's a great skill that I think flying teaches uh, every competent pilot, and you can apply that in business and life. What, what do you think about that? Um, I, I would agree. Um, one of the challenges that I've found working in a business environment is where senior people, managers, or leaders, senior people have a reluctance to delegate properly or simply don't know how to delegate. Mm -hmm. And delegation is not abdication. Abdication is where you have no further interest in, in the issue or the task. Delegation is about trusting in the professionalism and the approach of others on your team and allowing them the space to get on with it so as you can then focus on what you need to focus on. It clears your headspace to be able to, uh, to focus on what you need to. But so often I find in, in business these days, people are reluctant to delegate because the trust there is lacking and they're afraid of something going wrong over which they have no control. And that holds them back. I think, though, it, it seems like, you know, as leaders, from what I find anyway, most people in leadership positions, they feel like they have to be the ones that come up with all the solutions and the answers. And I think it, there's, it, you can display a great deal of, well, some people, I guess, would call it vulnerability, but I, can, I think there's great strength in that vulnerability of saying, look, I don't know how we're going to get through this. I just know we are. I, so I'm looking to you to come help me, you know, solve this problem. What I see people, especially, um, inexperienced or, or kind of immature leaders, they feel like they have to retreat and, and be the ones with the answers. I mean, I, and I see that a lot in corporate America. What's your experience on that? Totally. I think a, an example that springs immediately to mind is in the oil and gas industry where I've done quite a bit of work. Uh, what you find generally in that industry is that people have risen to the top by dint of their technical yeah, that's expertise. Right. That's right. In other words, knowing what to do. And sometimes it's not clear what you need to do. And if they try to apply what we call a technical fix, i.e. They, they use the same approach to um, those problems where they do know what to do and they just try and delegate, because the problem they're facing is an adaptive one where they need to learn their way through it, this delegation doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And uh, I find working with, with C-suite, with, with board members, when they realize that problems can be divided into technical and adaptive ones, and the adaptive ones are where you don't know what the answer is, it gives them a, a permission, if you like, to, for the first time, stand up and say, well, actually, I don't know the yeah. answer to this challenge we're facing. Right. But I know how to support the team to work it out. And so uh, as a, a tool, the adaptive leadership is uh, a, a very useful approach and it's most powerful when it's within the context of a why, mm -hmm. this that you mentioned in the introduction here, a why, a high purpose, a cause, a belief. You know, I, I love what you said. I think, Peter, that that is probably the biggest problem in leadership in, in business today is what you just said, especially when you get into, um, like you said, oil and gas and where I'm at like right now in the flight test community, where you see people get put into leadership positions because, as you stated, because they were successful in some technical ability in some arena. And it seems to make perfect sense, right? I mean, why not put the person who was a great flight test engineer or was a great um, 
you know, understood all the ins and outs of, of the technical side of the oil and gas industry and put them in a leadership position. It, the problem is um, the skill set to be the leader of that team is completely different than the skill set to be the best flight test engineer, the best accountant, or the best you know geologist at the, at the oil and gas company, right? I mean, that is why we miss the mark so many times in corporate America. Yes, I, again, I would I would tend to agree with you. Uh, I draw a distinction between management and leadership. Yeah, um, management is about handling complexity, and we need good managers to handle complexity. Uh, we've mentioned oil and gas as as one of those industries. The flight test community, aviation is another, uh, and we also need leaders. And leadership is about creating simplicity. Mm-hmm. And as uh, Da Vinci said, uh, don't confuse simple with easy. Simplicity is the greatest sophistication. That's right. But those who can create the clear, simple message, and it starts with why. It starts with why we exist. It's not about what we do or how we do it, but why we do it. And why is not about profit. Profit's just a result. Why is what's your cause? What's your belief? Why do you get out of bed each day? And why should anybody care? And when the leader of an organization, no matter how small or large, can clearly state that why that is repeatable and is simple, then that can inspire those around him or her to find the solutions to the challenges they, they face as an organization. Oh, it's beautifully said. I mean, I want to let's let's dive into that because I think it's so important, and I haven't talked about this at length, and, and, but this is a perfect opportunity. I love what you said because as I talked to you before uh, the recording, what I loved about the Marine Corps, what I, what, um, and I remember when I worked for the hotel company and I was at odds with the CEO about how to um, inspire these uh, property managers who weren't making a lot of money. It was the, 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 the bottom line, it was tight to keep, to keep the, uh, the profitability in the, in the right positive. We had to have really tight uh, salaries. And he was of the mindset that you're only going to get a certain caliber at this price range. And I think it was in the $30,000, $35,000 a year, very low salary. Mm-hmm. But there was a potential to get more and, and, and move up the company. I argued with him tooth and nail about that, saying, look, you know, and I, I use the example of the Marine Corps where you have people who are not making, people don't join the Marine Corps to make money. They're not incentivized by salary. The reason why the people in the Marine Corps do what they do is because they can easily wrap their arms around this higher call, this higher purpose of being something bigger than themselves, and, and it's easy to get motivated by that. That's really at the mm-hmm. essence of what you're talking about with the start with why, is it not? It is. I mean, we, we talk about the golden circle, which uh, is is Simon Sinek's model. Simon Sinek, my colleague who uh, is based in New York, and uh, the, the golden circle is probably the world's simplest model. Uh, is three concentric circles. The outer one is named what, the middle one is how, and the center one is why. So uh, we all know what we do, uh, 100%. Uh, some know how we do it, call it our USP, our differentiating proposition, our pro- proprietary information. But only a few organizations, the inspired organizations, know why they do what they do. As we say, why is not about profit. Why is about what's your cause, what's your belief. And because most companies don't articulate that why, they explain themselves by starting from the outside and working in. They start at the what, 
and work through to the how, and then they sort of fizzle out. But the inspired organizations, the inspired leaders, the inspired companies, they think, act, and communicate starting from the inside out, i.e. starting with the why. So, you know, if we, we often use the example of Apple because everybody gets it. Apple's not perfect, but it's a good example. If Apple were like any other computer organization, they'd start with the what. They'd say, we make great computers. They'd then move to the how. They'd say, they're beautifully designed, easy to use, and user-friendly. Do you want to buy one? And that's how most marketing is done. It's how we um, talk interpersonally as well. You know, what do you do? Um, how do you do it? Um, but it's uninspiring. Right. Um, those companies that think, act, and communicate starting with why uh, are much more inspiring. So let's look at Apple again. This is how they actually communicate. So they start with why. They say, we believe everything we do challenges the status quo. We believe in thinking differently. The way we challenge the status quo is by making products that are beautifully designed, easy to use, and user-friendly. We just happen to make computers. Right. And, you know, that is much more inspiring. If you are inspired by what Apple believes, then chances are you'll buy a computer from them because you believe the same sort of thing. But you'll also buy an MP3 player from them or a phone from them because you believe in the same thing. So this illustrates that people don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it. Mm -hmm. And there is a biological reason for that, too. Yeah, that's true. You know, yeah, I don't. I remember seeing uh, Simon talk about that and the biological why we do what we do. But, you know, going back to my experience in the Marine Corps, that's why they were, especially going through the officer side of it, they drummed into you that it's about coherence. It's not about coming up with uh, detail and control. The higher that you get up, it's more about uh, coherence, understanding that and, and communicating that coherence, um, why we do what we do, and, and leaving the how up to, to the, the people that are kind of the front lines. I mean, is that kind of the same thing? I mean, I don't know what your experience was like in the, in the UK military, but as an officer, to be successful, you you didn't get down so much in the details. You introduced accountability and coherence by stating your intent of what the initial outcome you wanted to see, and then you kind of turned people loose. Uh, yes, very much so. Um, why equates to the intent, if you like. Uh, a very simple example that um, I've used before is in the military. Um, uh, uh, well, if you had an infantry platoon, the, uh, the officer might say, well, I want you to go and take that hill. Um, but actually, he wouldn't stop there. He'd say, I want you to go and take that hill so you can see over the next hill and we can observe what the enemy is doing. And so then the platoon goes out, and when they find the first hill heavily defended, they think about why it is that they've been tasked with that mission. Right. And they identify then another hill that they can go up which will equally achieve that mission, but they avoid the, the heavily entrenched enemy in so doing. So by explaining why, or the intent, the commander's intent, as they call it in the military, by explaining that commander's intent, it empowers people who are responding to that empowers them to work out how to achieve the overall objective because they know why. That's right. And quite often in business these days, we we hear people just being told what to do by their managers. And the more managers tell people what to do, the more they have to tell them what to do That's because right. people stand around waiting to be told what to do. If you connect them to why you're doing it and help them understand that, then they can come up with all sorts of ways of achieving that obje uh, objective that you probably wouldn't have even thought That's of. That's right. 
And your job, as you say, is to hold that environment to create that context where they can go ahead and sort it out for you. Yeah, you know, when I talk about discipline in, in the Marine Corps, I try to explain this to a few people. And in, in a lot of times when they, they hear the word discipline, um, the first thing that comes to mind is that it's about blindly following orders. I mean, that's not what I mean when I'm talking about discipline. The discipline I'm talking about, the discipline that I want permeating throughout the entire organization is acting spontaneously in accordance with intentions of what you're talking about there. The ability to kind of grant autonomy so people can say, oh, yeah, the hill's defended. Uh, okay, captain's told me he wants me to see the other hill. Let's go find another hill to go see the other hill. And so mm. the, I don't, people got to understand the power of that because in absence of that intent and the hill's defended, they got to stop in the track and you introduce stagnation, mediocrity. Now I got to call back. What do you want me to do now? And it just uh, it gets exhausting. And um, It is. Uh, and, uh, you know, to translate the, the example of the – the, the taking the hill so you can see over to the next one, translating that into business, what we're talking about here is creating an environment where people can innovate. And innovation right. is what keeps businesses, organizations ahead, keeps them sustainable, keeps them moving forward. So all of this is about creating innovation and having people in, inspired, which in turn generates discretionary effort. So they choose to to work harder because they know why they're trying to achieve what it is they're trying to achieve. And they know that their bosses, their leaders, have got their backs. That's key, same as it is in the military. Let's talk about planning. This is kind of tied to this, and especially coming from the military, you know, doing briefs and planning. Planning was always critical, mission planning and everything else. But when I talk about planning, sometimes people misunderstand, and sometimes I have trouble articulating it. Maybe you can help me here, but I'm a huge advocate of you got to plan, but I don't ever plan for the with the idea or the expectation that things are ever going to go perfectly. The reason why I plan is um, so I can be better prepared to deal with the inevitable unforeseen that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And what I see people doing, especially in the civilian sector, is that they feel like they got to have more detail. They got to create a plan, and it's got to go perfectly. And when it wasn't doesn't go perfectly, what do they do? They insert more detail and more control at higher and higher levels, and it just starts this vicious cycle of where um, actually detail becomes the enemy. And um, I know what's your thoughts on planning? Uh, for me, planning is not about perfection; it's about dealing with the uh, unforeseen, inevitable unforeseen. Well, I think there's two uh, two bits to that. Um, I, I completely agree with you that that. The more planning you do, um, it frees your mind up when you actually get into the situation to be able to deal with what's apps, uh, the, what is is occurring. So, um, using the aviation example, um, we would plan missions meticulously and think about lots of different possibilities and things that might happen or might not go right. And so, when we then got airborne. Um, we would feel confident that we were almost ready for anything. And then when the unexpected occurred, although it was unexpected, we felt prepared right. to be able to be flexible to deal with it. And that's that's one of the main uh, high values for, for uh, or, or one of the main reasons for, for planning. The other thing is when we're looking at planning and when I work with businesses, we, we have a wide-based strategic planning approach, which is drawn from the military approach to campaign planning. And here it's about, first of all, being very focused on um, the end state, what it is you want to achieve, this future that you're going to create for your organization, and be clear on that and be clear on why 
you want to achieve that and to have people viscerally connect with that at an emotional level because that's what carries you through and across all the humps in the road as you're trying to get there. But then when you start to look at um, a traditional sort of timeline and milestones that most organizations will have on their strategic plan, instead of just looking at milestones which are related solely to time and an event, um, it's really worth going through and looking at them and asking the question, what is the condition we are trying to create here? Mm. Now, when you ask that question, you know, uh, and let me give you an example to make this less abstract. Uh, a business I was working with wanted to open an office in Kazakhstan. And so traditionally you would have on your timeline, office opened in April 2014. Um, when you started to ask the question, well, what's the condition you're trying to create here? Why do you want to open that office? What difference will it make? What are you trying to accomplish? You start to get a deeper understanding of why you want to open that office. Now, it might sound obvious, but when you start to get into that conversation of what's the condition you're trying to create, it allows you then to think about, well, what are the other possibilities we could look at here which will achieve that same condition? It might be because we want to increase sales in Kazakhstan. Okay, well, is opening the office the only way or is the way of partnering with others to increase that, that, those sales? It, I know I'm just using one example here, but the power of looking at the condition you're trying to create rather than just the blunt, we've got to achieve this by this sort of time, it allows you then to be aware of opportunities that come along as you're trying to achieve that event. And that is the basis of how the military plans, and that enables the military to retain the initiative in a fast-moving environment and be able to respond to issues and circumstances as they arise. And that can be applied to business too. That's a great point. I mean, it's, it's amazing when you think about it how often. I know it, for me, it's I've, I've caught myself many times where you're just kind of going through the motion. I see that a lot in business. I've, I've been guilty of it myself that you're doing it just to achieve because you think that's what you need to do. And you never really kind of contemplate or marinate why are we trying to do it or what what is the ultimate outcome in those other ways. Asking those questions and having a team around you, what a blessing if you could have people that would kind of challenge you. Well, what are we trying to achieve? What are we trying to do? And asking those kind of the, kind of goes back to that always ask Wi-Fi times kind of mentality. Mm. It's amazing how it can uh, reveal uh, so many um, other opportunities, like you said. I, one of my great mentors I used to go early on in my uh, civilian career and I would go in and I'd say, well, this is what I want to do X, Y, and Z. And he was always, well, why do you want to do that? And then it's amazing. Even at that first level, why sometimes I didn't even have a good answer. It was just because you were kind of like going on autopilot almost, you know, and and, uh, it's amazing. That probably happens millions of times a day in businesses throughout the world. Well, the, the, the why question is the fundamental question. Uh, If, um, (laughs) <laughs> I'm sure, Richard, with your your children, same as mine. <laughs> right. One of the first questions they ask is yeah. why. And exactly. um, most parents, after a while, they get exasperated and they they say something like, "Well, because I say so." <laughs> right. But you know, so we early on in life, the the question why we we tend to damp it down mm-hmm. and focus more and more on the the measurable, the tangible of the what and the how. But the why is so important. You know, we are programmed evolutionary-wise. We are hardwired to ask the question, to understand. And then as human beings, we can apply our own thoughts and ideas of how to achieve the outcome that we're seeking. When we just focus on the what, um, then it's unlikely we're going to achieve innovation 
or progress. But when we're clear on why we're going to do it, that 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 helps. And I'd love to give you an example of this, if I may. Oh yeah. Um, I was working in a hospital um, in the U.S. And it's a fantastic hospital over in Washington State. And they have very, very efficient management systems, very, very good. The leadership is good too. They're clear on why they do what they do. And I was in the hospital and I came across this guy, John, who had worked there for 40-plus years. He was in his mid-60s and lovely old fellow. And he was pushing uh, a trolley, a gurney. And that was his job. He pushed patients on gurneys around the hospital. And I said to him, I said, John, uh, tell me, um, you've worked here hard. I mean, you work long hours. Uh, you've worked here for years and years. Why do you do what you do? What, what keeps you going? And he stood up just a little bit straighter than he was. And he said, with passion, he said, I save people's lives. Mm. If I didn't push these patients from the ER, from the emergency room up to the operating theatres, the doctors wouldn't be able to do their job and these people would die. I save people's lives. And he was absolutely clear on it. He was very proud of the fact this is why the managers had to almost kick him out the door at the end of his shift because it's, oh, no, just one more patient, just one more. Let, let me take these up. They, they need to go. And that was the discretionary effort. That was the passion. He would work out what he needed to do at his level. And this is the thing about leadership. It needs to be clear. It needs to be simple. And then you don't need a PhD to understand it. And everybody with an organization can work out for themselves what their contribution can be towards that why, towards that, that uh, reason the company exists. What a great story. I love that example. That is so true. You know, and it, it goes back to the point you know, if you're struggling with, you know, if you're with the mindset, uh, just like that example I gave you of that CEO thinking, well, I'm only paying him $35,000 a year. You only get a certain amount of individual. What a terrible way to look at people and human beings. Um, if you can attach them to this higher purpose and this higher calling, people will do amazing things um, given the opportunity. It's true. I mean, the goal is not to um, offer a job to everybody who needs one. The goal is to employ those who believe what you believe. Right. Um, the goal is not to, to sell to everybody who needs what you have. The goal is to sell to those who believe what you believe because then you engender trust and you engender loyalty and they will stay with you whether they are customers or employees. They will stay with you during good times and not so good times and that is something you cannot buy and it is not attached to uh, the, the pay packet, the salary. I mean above a certain level – a subsistence or a survival level, um, people, if they are connected to the why, if they're passionate about what they do, then you will get so much discretionary effort because they believe in it. So true. Who had a tremendous impact on you as a leader, You know, maybe a mentor, and, and how did this person impact your life? Great question. There, there have been a number of people, and the interesting thing about leadership is that leadership – is not directly connected to position or role. And so whereas I, I, can, um, I can talk about people uh, who might be famous, you know, I, I used to fly Margaret Thatcher around, as you mentioned, and um, whether you believed in her, agree with her politics or not, uh, what she was admired for was being clear on what she stood for 
what she believed in, and then right. you could choose to believe that or uh, that have that same belief or not. Um, but at least you knew where you stood with her. Um, more recently, the 16-year-old girl Malala, who was shot in the head by the Taliban, right? Um, you know, she is a leader. She stood up at the UN and she said, "One teacher, one child, one pen, one book, and we can change the world." Yeah. Now, she's not a leader by dint of a position that has been um, been ordained on her. She's a leader because she chooses to be a leader. Right. And this is leadership with a small L. And equally, I can think of people um, that are coming to my mind now who were in my squadrons that, that I commanded who had no formal management or leadership role, but just by the way they were being, they led. They led by being an example to others and inspiring others to think, hmm, good for you. How can I contribute? What more can I do? That's leadership. So leadership doesn't have to be big and bold. Leadership, anybody can lead. It's a choice, choice to put your head above the parapet um, because you might get shot at, metaphorically speaking, or actually if you're in the military, you know, but it's putting it willingness to put your head above the parapet and make yourself vulnerable in that way and state what you believe. And then that gives people the opportunity to follow you or be inspired by you. It does not mean that you have to have a big pay packet or be the CEO of an organization. That's not directly linked to leadership although it helps <laughs> yeah well but what you said is exactly what i mean if, if there's probably anything about this show or what i try to do um it's exactly that is that if people could just understand that that leadership is for all of us and it does not related to a title or position i mean the positional authority can certainly help in certain situations but it's not sustainable it doesn't last long when it when, when it you know, rubber meets the road or the bullets start flying, you know, there are plenty of examples of that introverted cook, you know, that, uh, yep. you know, grabbed the machine gun nest and allowed the safe yep. evacuation, you know, and, and was found dead over a melted machine gun barrel, you know, and no one would have known. And th that's Absolutely. the type of leadership that I just find fascinating. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, there, there have been people in senior positions in the military and in business who, um, are expected to lead by dint of their position, their role, their title. But actually, you will know as well as I, uh, I'm sure, Richard, people who um, don't measure up, who don't um, command the respect and inspire their people, uh, they, they, they don't, they're not leaders. They right. have to conjole and they have to manage people. John, the guy in my example at the hospital, he was right down at the bottom of the organizational chain, but he led. Yeah. He inspired and still does. He inspires the doctors and nurses and all the other people around him. He's inspirational. Yeah. What does he do? He pushes a gurney, but he's clear on why. And it's that why and that clarity that inspires others. Oh, I love it. Love it. Love that story. Well, gosh, Peter, you're uh, I could geek out with you on leadership all day long, my friend. Uh, you're definitely uh, a... <laughs> You've got the the leadership mindset that I could just could sit there and talk to you for hours. Where can people find you and get in touch with you? Well, um, certainly, if people would like to learn a little bit more about some of the things I've spoken about here, they can look on my website, and there's loads of stuff on there. Um, the website is whynotunlimited.com. So w h y n o t 
unlimited.com or one word. Um, they can also find access to resources on my colleagues' website, startwithwhy.com. Uh, that's Simon Sinek and our Start With Why movement. And uh, there's a, a lot that people can uh, download from there to, to help them understand more. Uh, so, yes, these are the places where I can be reached. Fantastic. I'll have links to all of these when I post these on my website. Peter, what a blessing to uh, finally get to meet you, and I'm glad to have you uh, in my circle. I look forward to collaborating with you in the future. I, I feel blessed to have met you. Well, thank you, Richard, for uh, having the opportunity to talk with you today. Very good, and uh, we'll, we'll catch you again some other time. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. Bye-bye for now. Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership ebook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com. <music>